All right, well, we are in Joshua 11. Last week, we saw the defeat of the southern Canaanite cities and the generals. Remember, we had this giant battle. We saw all of the southern areas in unison. They tried to attack the group that had made the alliance with Israel. They didn't even go up against Israel. And Israel answered the call and they defeated their enemies. But that leaves the entire northern area. So what are they going to do? Are they just going to sit by and let the Israelites pick them off one by one? How was the Lord going to lead them? How are they going to continue to take the promised land? We're going to see that all here in chapter 11. So let's begin with the word of prayer, and then we're going to jump into verses 1 through 5. Lord, we thank you once again as you lead us through this history, Lord, these lives that were given in obedience to you, Lord, for lessons for us here today. And I pray that we would be applying these scriptures and applying these principles and these stories, these histories that were lived, Lord, to our lives, that we would continue to glorify your name even today in Jesus' name. Well, verses 1 through 5, it says, And it came to pass... When Jabin, king of Azor, heard these things, that he sent to Joab, king of Madon, to the king of Shimron, to the king of Axphah, and the kings who were from the north, in the mountains, in the plains south of Chinneroth, in the lowland, and in the heights of Dor on the west, to the Canaanites in the east and in the west, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite in the mountains, and the Hivite below Hermon, in the land of Mizpah. So they went out, they and all their armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore multitude, with very many horses and chariots. And when all these kings had met together, they camped and ca- they came and camped together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel. And so here we are. It seems like deja vu, except it's the northern instead of the southern. So the southern tribes, uh, the southern Canaanite cities, they all unified together and they had that attack. But now in the northern kingdom, they do that, but it's even a larger coalition. It's even more cities. What does the scripture say? As many people as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude. That means a lot, a lot. And they have very many horses and chariots, it says here. And sometimes I I know as a Christian, it just seems like battle after battle after battle. We just got after a battle. And yet notice how the Lord is leading them through victory after victory. But it always seems like there's a harder problem. There's a tougher problem in front of them. And maybe you've got a big problem in front of you tonight. Maybe you're going through something right now. It just seems like, man, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this some kind of conflict we also see we also see spiritually speaking the enemy's not going to just roll over they see the southern tribes defeated and they don't go oh man we really should give up now they're going to try even harder in opposition listen as a christian if you're going to have spiritual opposition and you have victory over that spiritual opposition it's not going to get easier It's not going to get easier. Let me tell you again, just in case, it is not going to get easier. The more that you advance into enemy territory, the more opposition you will receive. I can tell you from experience, 
the more effective you are, the more antagonistic the enemy is going to be. And you'll see even people that were normally against each other unify in opposition to you. This is all normal. This is all normal. This happens all the time. Notice that the nation of Israel, once again, is outnumbered. They, the enemy has better technology. They have chariots, which is, when you hear chariots in the Old Testament, I want you to think of the biggest, baddest tank or helicopter or assault platform there is. It's just not possible to beat it. The nation of Israel, they have swords, they have spears. They don't have chariots. They don't have horses. And so they're out there on foot. Chariots are faster, stronger. They're brutal. They can run right through people. And there's so many of these forces against them. They're more than the sands of the sea, than the seashore. Do you ever feel like the enemy is bigger than you? Do you ever feel like uh, all of culture all of America, all of the Western civilization, all of the financial industry, all of the media and social media, everything's in line against you. Your boss hates you. Your spouse hates you. Your kids are rejecting you. You, you just feel like everything is against you. And you're like, I, I know I had all these other victories, but this time the Lord's not going to come through. This time it's too much. I can't take it. Well, fortunately, if you're a Bible student, you know that is not the case. So let's see what happens now in verses 6 through 9. But the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid because of them. For tomorrow, about this time, I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all the people of war with him came against them suddenly by the waters of Merom, and they attacked them. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, who defeated them and chased them to greater Sidon, to the brook Misphorah, and the valley of Misphah. Eastward they attacked them until they left none of them remaining. So Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. Now, Lord, would you please answer one of my prayers this way? I, I mean, I would love for the Lord to say, hey, don't be afraid of it for tomorrow about this time. I'm going to deliver them slain before you, and you're going to hamstring their horses, and their chariots are going to burn with fire. I mean, I would really like that to be an answer to a prayer. Now, for Joshua, that is the case. Now, I want us to realize something here. The Lord's words, the Lord's encouragement to Joshua flies in the face of all logic. Yet you ever seen a situation in your life where the Bible doesn't make any sense? It flies in the face of all logic. They're extremely outnumbered with greater technological advances, a better strategy. There is no logical way that this is going to work, except God said, this is going to work. He says, don't be afraid. And then he tells them exactly how, what's going to happen, how it's going to happen. And then Joshua does something that is logically the dumbest thing you would ever do strategically or tactically. I'm going to take my smaller, less equipped group, and I'm going to attack them first. I'm going to assault them. 
They're a better, better prepared, better army, better strategy, better technology, and we're very, very outnumbered. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to assault them. Now, we're going to take this and we're going to apply it to us spiritually. As Christians, we carry the banner of the Lord. The Lord Jesus, His Spirit is inside of us. He's given us a new heart of flesh. He's made us a born-again believer. He's clothed us with His righteousness. He's given us swords, the Word of God and prayer. He's given us the shield of faith. He's given us the armor and the equipment to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And yet, we lay on the couch saying, Woe is me. The enemy is too great. I can't possibly win. Everybody's against me. They say bad things about me. They rumor about me. They gossip about me. They don't like me. So what? So what? You said to live is Christ and to die is gain if you're a disciple. You said that I will pick up the cross and follow after me. We should be spiritual kamikazes for Christ. We strap ourselves in. Wherever we go, we don't care. We just burn out continually for Christ. Instead, we sit at home and say, if I get hurt, then the Lord's not with me. Oh, if, if my reputation is damaged, oh, then I'm not victorious. Joshua gets an illogical order from the Lord. Don't be afraid, and you're going to have tremendous victory. Joshua takes that illogical information, and he says, well, God said it's going to be. Why wait here? Why wait here for them to attack me? And he assaults them. Christian, we should be taking ground in our lives. You sit at home and you wait for that temptation of sin to come and you're like, okay, I'm really going to tempt, I'm really going to resist it now. Watch me resist it. And then you fail over and over and over again. Why are you on the defensive? Go on the assault, the a spiritual assault. Take spiritual ground in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You got a problem with your relationship? Why don't you take some of the illogical orders of the Lord? Die to yourself. Do the commandments of the scripture. Start taking ground. You got a problem in a relationship, in business. You got a problem with society. You got a problem with social media. You got a problem with the government. You got a problem with the media. Yeah, Hollywood controls the media. But Jesus Christ controls every molecule in all of the universe. And yet we act like we're outnumbered. We act like we're defeated. We act like we're the ones that can't take the ground. Instead, we need to have spiritual victory. And, and before we continue, let me say, where we're drawing our defensive lines spiritually, the enemy laughs. The enemy laughs at us. Oh, yeah, keep that ground. As long as you know, I don't want you to know you can take all this, though. Some of you are are fighting over, I don't know, maybe a show you shouldn't be watching. And it's a vice. And the enemy wants you to struggle with that because he doesn't want you to know that your neighbor's close to receiving the gospel and souls could be saved. He'd rather you argue with him over a TV show or whether or not to drink a beer or some gossip or even worse, you know, some, somebody said something bad about you in the church and now you want to leave the church. The enemy, the enemy just wants you distracted with that nonsense because he doesn't want you to know that if you really started advancing with the gospel, with the word of God in your home and in your life, that you would have tremendous victory. And how can I say such things so confidently? Because just like the Lord told Joshua, 
Do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow about this time I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. I know that all the promises of God are yes and amen. He's given us victory over sin, death, and the devil. He's given us the ability to crucify the flesh and the lust thereof. He's given us the ability to bear the burdens of others. He's given us the ability to be persecuted. And we just read Paul in 2 Corinthians saying that when he's persecuted, when he's beaten, when he's attacked, when he's discomforted, when everybody's against him, that he's not broken, he's not dismayed, that he's never betrayed, even when we read all the terrible things he's been through. And yet we sit on the couch and we let the enemy take the ground. And I say... We should do what Joshua said. Verse 7, he called all the people of war with him and came against them suddenly by the waters of Miram, and they attacked them. Yes, Christian, we need to take back our minds first, our relationships and our homes second, our church and our community third, our community, our state, our country, this planet. And we have the opportunity to take that ground now because if we don't take that ground now, Jesus is coming back. He's going to show us how to do it because he's going to take back the whole planet in one swoop when he returns to Jerusalem. And we'll be there the second time too. And what happened, verse 8? And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel and who defeated them and chased them to greater Sidon to the brook of Misrephoth. Later, he says, they attacked them until they left none of them remaining. And so Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. Imagine what your life would be like. I want you to imagine it right now. Imagine all of your problems and your battles, your anxieties, your despair, your financial issue. I want you to just take a list right now of all those spiritual areas that the enemy has the ground. And think about them in your mind, whether, you know, gossip, anger, an addiction. I want you to imagine every single one of them being defeated one by one by Jesus Christ and what it feels like to have victory in your life. Because the Bible promises you can have those things. You just have to walk in them and you need to take the ground. You can't just sit there and wait. Jesus has promised a victory, but they had to walk by faith. Christian, we walk by faith and not by sight. But you got to start walking. you got to start attacking. What do they say? The best defense is a good offense. Spiritually, it's the same thing. Let's read verses 10 through 15. Joshua took, turned back at that time and took Hazar and struck its king with the sword. For Hazar was formerly the head of all those kingdoms. And they struck all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroyed them. There was none left breathing. Then he burned Hazar with fire. So all the cities of all of the kings, excuse me, so all the cities of those kings and all their kings, Joshua took and struck with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. But as for their cities that stood on their mounds, Israel burned none of them except Hazar only which Joshua burned, and all of the spoil of the cities and the livestock and the children of Israel took 
as booty for themselves, but they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, and they left none breathing. As the Lord had commanded Moses' servants, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, I'll tell you something else. Winning is contagious. You get used to it. And then when it doesn't happen, you get a little disappointed. Some of you, spiritually, you've gotten used to losing. You've gotten used to the just begging the Lord for forgiveness. Failure after failure after, Lord, please forgive me. Oh, Lord, please forgive me. I know I did it again. It's just my flesh, Lord. You know my flesh. And then you start quoting scripture. I can speak from experience. I know. Oh, Lord, the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. Oh, Lord, it, that which I will to do, that I do not. You, know, you start speaking King James Version. And you're just used to losing all the time, used to losing. Stop it. Stop it. Jesus Christ is a conqueror, a roaring lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is victorious. He conquered on the cross. He conquered in the grave. He conquered against Satan. He is victorious. And winning is contagious. They went city to city to city. They took the southern kingdoms. They took the other side of the Jordan on the eastern bank. They've just taken the northern side. Obey the Lord. And I will tell you also, spiritually winning, conquering yourself, crucifying the flesh and its lust thereof. It's contagious. And the next thing you know, you're starting to gain some traction and you're realizing, you know what? I got rejected 99 times from preaching the gospel, but somebody just accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. If you knew that at the end of 99 no's, one person was going to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, how happy would you be to hear a no? Because you know every no, you're closer to somebody reaching the gospel. Are you so concerned about the rejection? Are you so concerned about that? No, you're like, no, okay, I got somebody else. No, okay, who's next? No, 1399, 100. Yeah, I will accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And then you do that one time, the next thing you know, you just want to preach to everybody because it's contagious. It's contagious. Who doesn't want to live a a victorious Christian life? Victorious Christian life. There's too many Christians, they're going to enter into the kingdom and they're going to say, wow, I barely made it. I barely survived. It was so difficult. Yes, the Lord had me in the 21st century. It was so difficult with my air conditioning and my car and my debt and my credit cards, my steak dinners. I lost my job one time. It was so terrible. It was so rough. I had Bible studies available to me at 24-7. 37 different Bible versions. You know, I didn't like three of them, but, you know, the other 12, they were pretty good, and the other ones were, eh. Yeah, I had Christian radio stations. Sure, I could listen to two millennia of teachings at my fingertips at all times, but it was so difficult to be a Christian. I barely made it. They're going to laugh at you when you go into the kingdom. Yeah, how about you? How did you do it? I got eaten by a lion because I wouldn't refuse Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Hey, oh, hey, what happened to you? Oh, yeah, I, I walked 500 miles in sandals with no possessions preaching the gospel until I was martyred. Oh, how about you? Yeah, I translated the Bible into English, and they burned me at the stake, and I wouldn't recant. <coughs> Victorious Christian lives, defeated Christian lives. 
Now, this is not a sermon about being beaten up. This is a sermon about being victorious, not being defeated. See, even now, you're going to a defeatist mindset. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, he doesn't. Oh, no, no, I can't do it. Oh, that's somebody else. Oh, those, those people. No, no. We are all people of like passions. We're all human beings. We're all fallen short, but we all have the same Savior, the same Savior, the same Spirit of God, the same God that motivated and worked in their lives is working in my life. The same one that commanded Moses, that same word of God, it's right here. It's written in my language. All I have to do is receive these promises and obey it. That's what Joshua did. That's what Joshua did. He received the word. He went on the, on the assault, and they were victorious. Now, all we have to do is win a spiritual battle, not even a physical one, which brings me to a side note. Side note means we're not we're going to just realize this is going on this different shelf, right? And we're going to come back to this line of thinking. Why doesn't the Lord have us militarily win now? Like we can put Jesus back in the White House. Let's put him in there. Because Jesus is after the greater thing, souls for eternity. He doesn't care about I, I shouldn't say he doesn't care. But the emphasis is not on what laws are on our books the emphasis is not our judicial system. He is interested in the hearts and the souls of men, of all nations, of all times, and of all tribes. He doesn't want us sending people to hell through warfare. He wants us winning souls through grace and love in the name of Jesus Christ. He wants the greater thing. I want the greater thing. Whatever the Lord says is the number one priority, I want that thing. So we're going to take, we're going to, that's a side note. Remember that? Let's come back to victorious Christian life and read 16 through 20. Thus, Joshua took all this land, the mountain country, all the south, all the land of Goshen, the low land and the Jordan plain, the mountains of Israel, its lowlands from Mount Halak and the ascent in Seir, even as far as Baal God, in the valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon. Hermon, excuse me. He captured all their kings and struck them down and killed them. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon, and we know about them. All the others they took in battle, for it was of the Lord to harden their hearts and that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might utterly destroy them, and that they might receive no mercy, and that he might destroy them, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Listen, spiritually speaking, it is time to have no mercy with sin. No mercy with compromise in your heart and in your mind. No mercy. No provision for the flesh. None. Stop playing games. Stop losing. Start winning conquering in the name of Jesus according to his word. Now, if you make a list of all these places, they don't mean anything to us, do they? It's like when I first moved to the low country, I didn't know what 278 is. I didn't know what 170 was. I didn't know that the intersection between those things was going to be the bane of my driving existence. <laughs> I didn't know what Hardyville was or Ridgeland or the south side or the north end. I didn't know any of that stuff, and it didn't mean anything to me. If somebody said, hey, you have a service call on the south, and I'd be like, okay, whatever. 
Now when I get it, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the other side of the planet. <laughs> I get looking at my wife like, I'll see you tomorrow. But these are real places. I want you to know something else. This is Israel's land now. They kick the enemy out. They're going to put their houses there. They're going to raise their children there. They're going to plant their vineyards there. That's their property now. Why? Because God said so. Why are you letting the enemy in your property? Why are you letting the enemy? You, this is our country. This is our town. This is my home. This is my mind. I want it back because it belongs to Jesus. And there's occupiers there now. You're like, oh, but there's so many of them, and they're against us. Tell that to Jesus when he returns. He's going to wipe them away like we are wiping away the ice off our windshields in the morning. Oop, yep, goodbye. Oh, but we're so defeated. Why? Why? They can have the airwaves. They can have the Internet. They can have the laws. They can have the government. They can have the military. It don't matter to me because I have Jesus Christ in the Word of God. And I'm going to go onward and advance the gospel. And so northern and southern Canaan are all defeated, and Israel lives there now. That's their home. They took the enemy's property, kicked them out, had no mercy, and they planted their family there and said, yep, I live here now. And so it should be. Again, start in your heart and in your own mind. Stop letting the enemy control you. The Bible says to hold every thought captive. How do you hold them captive? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the spirit of God, in the word of God. So get this property back, the six inches between your ear. Take it back. Then you start in your home and your relationships with your family. That's your church. That's your home. Stop letting the enemy run rickshawed in your living room. Shut that TV off. Those talking heads don't control your property. That's your house. And then our church. You don't give the enemy time for gossip. You don't give him enemy time to cause division. When you find something or hear something that's causing division, you're like, nope, that's from Satan. You can give right out. Not here. We build each other up. We grow in the gospel. We equip each other. We sharpen each other's swords. We get our bent shields, and we get them back straightened out so that we can go back into our workplace, and then we take over our workplace with hard work, with discipline, with love, with grace. And then we take over this town. And we take over this town in the name of Jesus Christ. And then we're all going to vote. And we're all going to have influence. And we're going to push back. And we're going to write letters. And we're going to say, no, no. I don't care if you're telling me that this is what you think truth is or truth isn't. You can't make me say anything that's contrary to the Bible. I don't care what you do. Because you may own this planet now, but Jesus owns the universe. He owns every atom in the universe. Is it, you, the enemy may occupy now, but he's going to take it back. Now, in your personal life, some of you are in different areas, right? I realize some of you have a lot of battles you've been through. And you're like, you're looking at this next big battle you're going through, and you're like, I, I don't know. Look back at all your lists of accomplishments, your victories with Christ, and say, yep, it's time for the next one. Some of you are kind of in the middle. You know, you've had some victories, but you know there's more, a lot more battles ahead. Hey. Look in the encouragement. Look at your brothers and sisters and say, yeah, we need to have victory. Some of you are just starting. Like, you, you just started this journey, and you just got out of your basic spiritual training, and you're like, where's the enemy? I want to go get him. Hey, brother, stick to somebody that's been there before, okay? Because when the spiritual bullets start flying, it's one thing to have an enemy you know you're getting shot at. With the enemy, he makes you think he's your friend. 
And then he starts making his fiery darts make him think like you're their, your own thoughts. He is evil. Get with a brother or sister that's been around for a while. Ask them some questions. And look for the quiet ones that have been through a lot, not the ones that talk a lot like they were on the front lines, you know, the ones sharing all the stories and the other ones just kind of, the quiet ones are just kind of chuckling like, uh uh-huh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But spiritually speaking, no matter where you are on this journey, there is work to be done. Jesus says to occupy until I return. Not sit and lose ground until I come back. He says to occupy. I'm going to take and occupy enemy territory. I'm going to take it back. I'm going to go back on the offensive. Quit losing. Remember to think of all those trials, all those things that are in front of you, and imagine them with Jesus just knocking them over one by one. They're not that big. So what if they have chariots? Jesus says they're going to burn before your eyes. They're going to fall apart. Those big machines that are against us, so what? So what? You know me, I can't, I can't go without some kind of history analogy, right? But in 1989, if you're in Eastern Germany, you have the entire Stasi, the secret police, the communists, the entire system is built on making you an atheist automaton to completely be obedient to their rule at all times. I believe it was like one out of three or one out of four people in Germany were Stasi agents are reporting on you at any given time. And in 1991, just a few short months later, what happened? They're all dancing on the Berlin Wall. The entire government, all of its structure, completely gone. Now, we just use that one analogy to show you that whatever illusion the enemy makes you think about how permanent this system is and how bad it's gotten and how in control and entrenched the enemy is, the enemy is the father of all lies. The father of all lies. He makes you think that he has power when he doesn't. He makes you think he has no power when he does. The only truth is revealed through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And and so don't think too highly of these strongholds. The Bible says that through prayer, the Lord will tear down the enemy's strongholds. He'll do it. And so let's read verses 21 through 23, closing this chapter. And at that time, Joshua came and cut off the Anakim from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from all the mountains of Judah, And from all the mountains of Israel, Joshua utterly destroyed them from their cities. None of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel. They remained only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. So Joshua took the whole land according to all the land all the Lord had said to Moses, and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. All right, so there's, I know there's a big group of Bible students here. The Anakim are not descendants of the Nephilim. No, no, they are not. The Nephilim were destroyed in the flood. They were destroyed in the flood. Well, what about that theory that says it was through one of the sons of Lot, the son of the brother? No, no, no. They're, they died in the flood. That's one of the biggest points of the flood was to get rid of the Nephilim and that cross-reading with the children of Israel to keep the, the genealogy pure. If you were to make that assumption, the genealogy of Jesus Christ is not pure. Oh, well, maybe it was through this son and not that son. Now you're really pulling hairs. You're, you're really trying to stretch things. No. Now, the Anakim were giant 
human beings. They're huge. Now, what about Goliath? He comes later. Uh, you didn't, did you catch that last little note? They remained only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. Where did Goliath come from? He came from those last little tribes. And David made sure that he disappeared because the enemy wins. I mean, excuse me, the Lord wins over the enemy. Gonna have to edit that one out. <laughs> so they're not the Nephilim, but they are incredibly strong. And yes, Goliath came from the Anakim. The land rests from war. When is our spiritual war over? When Jesus Christ comes back and sets up the millennial kingdom in the new in the new Jerusalem, we will rule and reign with him, and he will make peace. Until then, we are in a shooting war. Okay, with the enemy. Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to kill your children. He wants you to destroy your ministry. He wants you to destroy your witness. He wants you to get divorced. He wants your corpse in the grave and your soul in hell. I, I can't be any more crystal clear. He has no rules, no Geneva Convention. If it wasn't for God himself restraining him, he would torch the whole place. He's the father of all lies, death, and destruction. He's not your friend. He's not some joke of parties. He's not the ruling, the biggest party in the middle of the earth. Another great lie from him. Father of all lies. And we are in a shooting war with him. That means he's trying to destroy us. Well, good thing I'm trying to destroy him back because we want to take victory. Where Christ has been victorious over Satan. He is victorious over sin. He is victorious over the devil. And all I have to do is resist the enemy in Jesus' name, carrying his banner, going where he wants us to go. And so if you think that you're going to rest until the Lord returns, you think you're going to hide in your bunker, you're going to stay in your spiritual bubble, you're going to just try and be as comfortable as possible, get your 401k going, enjoy your retirement, just lay low until Christ returns, you're out of your mind. He's going to come and get you. Good thing the Lord is protecting you. The best defense is a solid offense. Start with your Bible reading. Start with your prayer time. Start with listening to more Bible studies instead of less gossip. Start with encouraging the body, not discouraging the body. Quench the gossip. Quench the dis any discussion that leads to separation of relationships. Encouragement and growth and blessings, praying for your brothers and sisters, coming to them and assisting them, disciplining your household, your own body, your own, your own mind. Winning is contagious, especially winning for the Lord. And when you come into, and you come into the Lord's house and you're praying with your brothers and sisters and, and you know that every single one of you is carrying your part, carrying your sword, carrying your shield and is victorious, and it is something amazing. I'll add a personal comment. You ever been to a fellowship that's defeated? I have. You go in there and you talk to the people and they're all defeated. They're all beat up. And they're in their worship time, you can tell. They're defeated. They're just trying, they're just surviving. They're just eking it out. No, no not in this house. No. No. Lord, we pray that you would just lead us in prayer, lead us in victory. Help us to go out there, Lord. 
to go find it, to go engage, to put you first above all things. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.